um, basically the smart contracts, whoever gets to say what that price of oil is at the end of the contract basically gets to decide who wins. And that's the Oracle problem. Um, how do you how do you solve that? I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Nick Fett, CTO and co-founder of Teller, a decentralized oracle where anyone can provide any real-world data on-chain that's checked by everyone. Welcome, Nick Fett, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I have Nick Fett here, who is the CTO of Teller. And before we get into everything that Teller does, I want to know more about what Nick does and what he was doing beforehand. So Nick, tell us a little bit about you know your life before even getting into crypto. What stage were you in in life and what were you up to? Uh, sure. So I, I actually got into crypto kind of early. Um, it was in like the 2011 period. Um, I was mm-hmm. an in, I was an intern at a think tank, um, a libertarian think tank in Pennsylvania. I was working on the Ron Paul campaign. Um, nice. You remember that one? Yeah. A lot of I remember Ron Paul was pretty like he was getting pretty big for a little while. Yeah, I was excited. No, for him. Yeah, the Ron Paul 2012 campaign was pretty big, and you know there there were a lot of people there. It was a lot of it was on ending the Fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we <laughs> Bitcoin was obviously you know a lot of the people there were into Bitcoin and they kind of got me into it with the super pool. Yeah, I was, um, I'm reading that book uh, right now, Digital Gold. Oh yeah, and there is a section, like a little part of, about in that book, talking about how there was like libertarian uh, like people working together, working on the on the Ron Paul campaign, talking about Bitcoin and trying to get that into the whole libertarian party. But there's always like a back and forth between that. So yeah. Well, <laughs> How is that going for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I've since moved on uh, <laughs> from a lot of the libertarian stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, back then, Bitcoin had a huge libertarian vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, basically, you know, it was it was almost like you were you were shunned if you were a libertarian, like you were supposed to be pretty anarcho-capitalist. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it was just a completely different vibe. Uh, but it, it was great. I mean, that it got me into Bitcoin. And then obviously, Ron Paul lost. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which was which was disappointing uh, but then and then I, I i got a job actually i started working at the federal government um, wow. so i'm here in dc what were you um, doing there so the... I'm, I'm an i'm an economist uh okay. so i from schooling uh and i worked at first at uh the bureau of labor statistics so i did um the employment numbers so like every month whenever they say like oh we created seven hundred thousand new jobs or lost this many jobs wow um that was i was sort of the economist doing the code in the background there um did you study code like uh, CS in college or? No, it was economics. And then I just taught myself a little bit. So we used SAS there, Python, if you know that. But yeah, yeah. it was um, it was kind of like self-taught programming. And then uh, and then from there, I left in early 2015. I, I moved over to the CFTC, yeah. um, which is actually the regulator of crypto and um, <laughs> also derivatives. So um, it was an interesting move. Um, but I, I moved over there in 2015 and, and that's when I started actually like really trading crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, before then I was just, I actually sold most of my Bitcoin in like 2013. <laughs> For Ethereum? Uh, no, I, I bought my wife's engagement ring. Oh, uh, that's sweet. worth it. My, my early Bitcoin gains. I know, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's fun. We like price it out. You know, it's a nice seven figure ring now. Um, <laughs> it's always so fun. I think I bought like yep. some bike for like, yeah way too much now but yeah well and then i started i started prop trading so i just you know super early on like you you connect all the different exchanges just via an api and start trading Mm -hmm. you know and so i was doing that for a few years and uh it's like 20 late 2014 to 2016 and um at the time i was i was at the cftc so we um they started the blockchain working group 
so gotcha. which was like a big thing oh, with wow. like regulators at the time like or you know even companies but at this point you know when you first heard about uh bitcoin was it uh like a, an aha moment for you where you thought this this is going to be the next big thing or were you kind of brushing it off how did it kind of grow into something that you uh, were into um, yeah i mean like i really liked it from the idea of it being a currency originally mm -hmm. you know so there was in libertarian circles like the, the idea wasn't that like like some people think like oh well, gold should be money but like that the hayek you know frederick hayek his view was like well, you should actually just be open to competing currencies. Mm -hmm. So like everyone should be able to create these currencies and the best one will win. So, you know, Bitcoin free market, yeah, free market currency. So like having these digital competing currencies, whether it was in like Bitcoin or Litecoin at the time or Ripple, that was super interesting to me from an economic standpoint. And that, yeah. that's what I was like hoping would come about through it. Uh, uh, yeah. And then I, I kind of fell off, you know, so that was like sort of my aha moments that it was, it was sort of a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kind of fell starting in like 2016 i kind of fell off the bitcoin bandwagon just from i was it, the, really the if you remember the block size debates um, yeah, those trying. those like almost turned me off of bitcoin in a lot of ways <laughs> why um, is that i mean it's important to have these debates because it was sort of an yeah. issue with bitcoin especially at that time i think that was like during the ico craze too where bitcoin was having a hard time handling transactions uh especially because each ico was you pay with either ethereum or bitcoin to buy in. yeah yeah well i mean that was the ico craze was more like 2017 like earlier it was still like I, I started building on ethereum like i started playing around with ethereum in like 2015 and building some smart contracts there just to show like oh you can build a derivative contract smart contract and that was that was really cool and you know bitcoin didn't have any of this stuff mm -hmm. you know and like it was I, I was all for like innovating on bitcoin and like let's you know push up the block size let's add some more functionality to it um and they didn't do that um maybe rightfully so they're doing just fine um but yeah that that's whenever i kind of switched over into the ethereum community um starting to actually build things just, yeah there's just a whole lot more potential there the ethereum community felt like it was actually growing doing some things so yeah and you know, i was also like starting to have a platform where you can just build whatever you want on it that's kind of what ethereum was bragging on which has been working out really well for them too it's pretty awesome yeah so you know that was that was like definitely something that got me and then i mean even i had my problems even early on with ethereum like the dow fork um, yeah. you know that was that was a trying time in the community but it, it's interesting to see you know how everything like sort of worked out like because i remember at the time like, being more on the side of like no we shouldn't accept <laughs> like code is law we should we should stick with it and you know that was like me coming from my former bitcoin self i guess yeah. you could say but um yeah because like you really thought that maybe this was going to be a turning point where ethereum would intervene a little bit more but they, they haven't since you know it's mm -hmm. you could say that they did a really good job with it. so far so good let's hope it keeps going yeah no it was definitely yeah. it, it was a time where like they, they could have done a lot more early on but I, I think it should be like a sign for early projects like hey it's okay if you, you know, even early on if there's a little bit of centralization or you guys you fuck up the code or something yeah. like it's 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 okay like <laughs> the, the world the world can go on and, and you can make up for it and as long as you move on it's okay um so you're um yeah so your background's in economics you've been learning code you've been working in with the, the government and different uh sections again with the compiling data yeah. pretty much was was numbers always your game were you, were you always into numbers as a kid and that's something you're just interested in learning about or like how did that develop no <laughs> no definitely not i don't know how that kind of developed it like it probably i got into economics kind of in college and um were you into computers too as a kid or video games i mean i yeah. played a lot of halo growing up that was about it, um, it <laughs> i was no it makes sense because i a lot of times like especially in the book that i'm reading digital gold like i'm hearing uh like roger fur 
Burr and some other person. Like they're all into Magic the Gathering. Yep. And I'm like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm into Magic the Gathering. I should be pretty successful now, right? But I'm not. Yeah. I'm just got this podcast. But it's it's no. pretty interesting. Like, I always like comparing what uh, entrepreneurs or people in the crypto space are building different projects, kind of what they were like as a kid to see if there's any similarities between thought processes but i've been finding out it's you know it's completely different not, not anyone's the same and it's interesting the different projects they are building yeah no i, I definitely wasn't really as a kid like that it was you know it was more sports and nice. the traditional stuff and then i i got in like in college i, I fell kind of hard into the libertarian scene mm-hmm. um and that was like like i actually had an internship uh with peter schiff um <laughs> nice. and you know like i i begged him to give me an internship because I, I read his books and his dad's book and um, how was that internship it was it was great i mean it was you know like i get a it, 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 that was actually so like i was into the libertarian piece and then i got an internship with peter and then that was like it got me more into like the finance sector of things mm-hmm. um so you know that that's really whenever you started looking more at trading and things like that um you know started stock trading in college <laughs> which was which was, you know, a bad idea in the 2009 period. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so like that was that was sort of how I fell into libertarian and the finance aspect, which led me closer and closer to Bitcoin. That's awesome. But, and yeah, it sounds like you're just absorbing all that knowledge. I mean, that's good. I mean, glad you went through this path because it kind of led you down this entrepreneurial mindset and kind of just working hard on what you really believe in, which is amazing. I know you started a company before uh, Teller, which was uh, Daxia. Yeah, so that was in 2017 when I, I was at the CFTC and um, for part of my job at the CFTC and like the blockchain working group was like people would come in and present to us like derivatives on a blockchain. So you had like, if you remember R3 or you know even like JP Morgan and some mm-hmm. of these other companies would come in and be like, oh, we're, we're going to put all of our derivatives on a blockchain. It, it never made any sense because it would be like a private blockchain that they were running. Yeah, what, um, what was their like logic or reasoning behind that? Because I know blockchain was a buzzword. It's something like, oh, we're putting this on a blockchain. It's going to be amazing, but not necessarily everything needs a blockchain. No, it was it was sort of like the idea of like, oh, we're going to put it on a cl- on the cloud, you know, like as if it's this magical thing, and, uh, you know, people were like, obviously, I, I think a lot of times it, it was a big buzzword for like raising money and for for doing things because people were so enamored with the idea of just moving beyond the, the idea of what currently or what did exist, I guess, you know, post trade settlement was still like very manual and mm-hmm. PDFs and things like that. So like even just moving to like a private blockchain, it's like massively efficient. So wow. um even if you still had trust there, it was, it was okay. Um, and, but I, I remember uh, thinking like, oh, well, like you could do this on Ethereum and you wouldn't need any of these middlemen. Like the, the whole idea shouldn't be like a bank makes a derivative platform. It should yeah. be like, it's, it's a derivative platform that doesn't need a bank. <laughs> um, so, so then I left in 2017 to start, you know, Daxia. I actually got an Ethereum foundation grant, um, in nice. early 2018 it was super helpful so uh that's like that was like my raise i guess yeah. you could say I, I got you know around one grant from them that like then i brought on my co-founder brenda she uh, she was actually like she worked with me at the bureau of labor statistics and was like with kind of like nice. we were good friends throughout the whole time period and then mm-hmm. whenever i got the ethereum grants i'm like yeah why don't you come build blockchain <laughs> derivatives with me and she was like let's do it <laughs> yeah let's let, let's go <laughs> and so that was yeah and and then from there we, we did the derivatives platform but you know we're, we're building out these this derivatives piece and the biggest problem you hit in the derivatives piece so you know if you're betting on the price of bitcoin it's well how do you get the price of bitcoin into your smart contracts mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of what's known as the oracle problem so smart contracts can't read apis or, or any off-chain information so if you're betting on something that's not native on chain you need an oracle and Yes. Can you explain uh, an oracle for for me and for other 
other people who are listening. Yeah, I mean, the derivatives contract is a really easy way to explain it. So, you know, let's say you and I are, ben, we'll say the price of oil, oil's not on chain or any chain. Um, we could we could each lock, say, 10 Ether into a smart contract. And if the price of oil goes up from right now, you get all of this Ethereum. And if the price of oil goes down, then I get all of this Ethereum. Um, basically, the smart contract, whoever gets to say what that price of oil is at the end yeah. of the contract, basically gets to decide who wins. And that's the Oracle problem. Um, how do you how do you solve that? Ideally, you would just be able to like, oh, here's we'll just go read CME's API and put that data on chain. Yeah. But you you can't do that. So smart contracts they don't have that capability like normal code. So you need some mechanism for doing that, and that's that's what an oracle does. And that's what Teller is working on. That's what Teller does. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, like the traditional oracle model would be, you know, you could say you could just have like a third party, so like a a whitelist or person. So you could say like, you or I don't agree on it. So like, we'll let some third party say, yeah. you know, uh, Vitalik can be the third party and he's the Oracle. He'll, he'll tell us what the, what the price is. And the problem with that is though, what if he lies? Yeah. What if you bribe him? Um, what if there's some sort of issue there? Um, what if he doesn't respond? Um, then you have an Oracle issue. So how, how you solve that is, is something that we tried to do with Tel. Um, yeah, and no. I was watching the, I was looking over the website, looking over how it works. I was really interesting your incentive model for making sure people don't lie. It's that yeah. uh, if I butcher the explanation, just correct me. No, but. please. <laughs> so yeah, one person puts out a bounty asking, I want some off-chain data to be on-chain and someone in the teller network grabs it says oh, i'll solve this for you and put this on chain if the person wants to dispute that information saying that no this is incorrect from what i checked they can dispute it and then the DAO votes on if they're if it's accurate or not and if it's um, we found out the person is lying about the data their staked teller would be slashed, slashed right yeah, or vice versa, yeah. the other person would lose their they dispute. They have to pay it. a small fee to mm -hmm. dispute it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just super simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, well, we tried to build, you know, something that just works. Um, and that way, you know, anybody can be a data reporter. So it's not like you have to whitelist that one person. Like <laughs> anybody can stake TRB and say, hey, I'll be a data reporter on this network. You come and say, hey, I'll pay $100 for the price of oil. Somebody will fulfill that request usually really, really fast, um, depending on how much you're tipping. Um, and then you can look at it or anyone in the network, usually the other reporters are checking themselves. Um, and they'll either just leave it on chain or they'll vote to dispute it. Now, is it is a data like a one and done thing? They just dump a bunch of data onto the blockchain or is it, do they create some type of, uh, some running server that's constantly updating whatever data that they're looking into? So it depends. Like some people have price feeds set up where like, you know, we'll put a piece of data on chain every day, every hour or something like that. Other times it is more of a one and done deal. Mm -hmm. Um, it just depends on what you need in your smart contract. Gotcha. Uh, you know, right. Basically like if you, if you're willing to pay for it, like, and you don't have to pay them much. Like you, you basically just have to pay them. Like if you pay them like a dollar, it depends on what network you're on, but you know, like on Ethereum, it's like, if you pay them like a few dollars over the gas costs, um, as long as you cover their gas costs for putting it on chain and then uh, give them a mm. small tip, they'll throw the data on chain for you. Nice. Um, and then you, yeah. And, and it depends. So like Teller is also super flexible, so it can do any kind of data. So like, you know, the price of oil is obviously really easy to go get, but you, you can ask it like an arbitrary question. Like, you know, like you could ask for a string answer, like who won the presidency last year? It's more manual. So like you might be now the reporter would actually have to like manually type in like Joe Biden because uh, there's not an API for it. Um, so depending on what you need, somebody will fulfill the request. Wow. That's a, that's a really interesting concept because it's, I haven't seen anything like that. I mean, like 
the mechanism is pretty similar to staking in general, where if someone's lying about mining or lying about transaction, they get their stake slashed. So it's interesting. It's kind of just like that, but with information and data. Yeah. And that's what we always tell people. So, and, and this is where we're like different than other oracles is as far as using it goes. Mm-hmm. So like with another oracle, so like if you have the trusted Vitalik model and he puts it on chain, you basically are stuck with it. You have, you can read it instantly and then settle your contracts. But with us, we have this this idea of you want to wait for validation. So like usually once it's put on chain, you don't want to use it right away. You want to yeah. wait, say, an hour. So if people have time to check it for disputes. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's like a price feed that's easy to check for disputes, you can wait five minutes. But if it's, you know, something more obscure that other people need to look into, you'll have to wait longer. And it's this idea, we call it like a finality. Um, you know, similar like when an exchange gets like a deposit of Ether, you don't get it right away. They have to wait like six block confirmations mm-hmm. for it. Um, it's sort of that same idea and teller, like once some data is put on chain, you want to wait some period for disputes to happen. Um, usually either checking it yourself or waiting for other people to check it before you would actually use it in your smart contract. Now, is there confirmations of the data as it grows? So if it's something that's... The, de- okay, now. There is not. You know, we looked into that, but it's um, usually these... The, the idea, usually it's like once you use it though, because like that's usually like in the derivatives contract, once the money is dispersed, it's like it's it good. actually doesn't matter what happens after that for the data. <laughs> Like if it gets disputed, you're out of luck most yeah. likely. So uh, you you want to set up all of the security beforehand, and and you can do that. Like some some you could do it in our story. Like you could say like I want one, I want three reports. Like I want the the median of the last three reports yeah. on it. So then you would pay for three updates when you uh, want the oil price, and then three different reporters would put it on chain, and then you would get those three. What's been the uh, I guess most interesting or funny uh, information that's been requested and put on? Um, if you have anything can come to mind, I don't know if there's like funny. Like there's cool data. Like we're starting to work with a fantasy football one. Okay, um, that's some fun data on chain. Um, a lot of times, like you know, so a lot of we had some bugs. I guess you could call it like dispute bugs early on. Like people would come and request like weird prices. Um, you know, like so they would request like tokens that had gone to to zero, but like the Binance API was still returning, um, oh. you know, a wrong value, and then they would they would try and like catch other people to dispute them, <laughs> and those were always like night- bad days for us. Whenever <laughs> like other reporters would be attacking them by oh submitting gosh. like bad, they would like request data that it, that you couldn't possibly submit a valid answer for, uh. um, and it just like confuses everyone. <laughs> There's always some bad actors. Yeah, you know, but and then like we, we obviously have ways we have ways to like vote on it to say like it's an invalid query, like nobody wins, nobody gets slashed, but it's like gotcha. No, you know, it's yeah. It's fun. <laughs> so working in this crypto industry, uh, you've been working in it for a while, trying to you're creating your own smart contracts, living the space, and getting grants. So say if someone you know, out of college now is trying to get into the space, trying to get a grant or you know trying to fund their own crypto idea or platform, what advice would you have to give them? I mean, it's super easy now because you can just go get a job at one of these places. Um, You know, like I think like even at ETH Denver, like just start hacking on it. Um, You know, you'll have to put a little bit of work in to learn Solidity and stuff because they don't teach it in colleges yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can learn it pretty easily on your own. But like if you saw the guy who won, like he was a college student who won the ETH Denver hackathon. Nice. You got 15 job offers that weekend. And that's probably a lot of money because blockchain engineers or Solidity engineers yeah. are worth more than crypto. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he's a, 
you know, he's obviously a really smart guy who built yeah. some things. But, you know, if, if you're just putting in some effort, like you can find a thing like we we usually like we have an office here outside of D.C. We have one guy's like, hey, can I, can I come be an intern at your place? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, sure, man. And now, you know, like he was an intern for like three months unpaid. And then like, you know, he, like now he's a full time employee and you just like learn it and can do it. So. That's the best. Yeah. That's what you want to look for is any employee is someone who can learn. Yeah, it's crucial for sure. And I mean, it's super easy, like in the space, like you can, you know, like just uh, what I tell people, like, don't, don't try and go for like some, the highest salary you can get right away. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if you graduate as like a CS major, like probably the highest salary you can get is going to be at some, like you're going to go work at like Deloitte or some Fang company or something like that, yeah. but like, it's going to be awful a, but you know, you're also like, you're missing out on the potential to like learn and become a part of this space, which is so big, you know, like just get in the space. And then like, if you're in the space for three years, you're like a senior celebrity developer. Quickly. You're like so quick. Yeah. I mean, like, like we have one guy on our team who's like our senior celebrity developer. Like he was like, he was another economics major who like just started, he, he was part of like rate deal. He was just doing like solidity code audits for people on the side. Wow. And then he just like trained himself. He's now a senior solidity engineer. <laughs> um, so like you, you can teach yourself this stuff and, and you can quickly sort of get up there in the rankings, like way, way faster than you could, you know, in yeah, some in a typical more corporate. traditional company. Mm-hmm. So That's just, sure. yeah, just try and get in and then figure it out from there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, again, in, in this space, yeah, crypto's 24 seven industry, there's nonstop commotion going on. Building a business is not easy. Having a family is not easy. Doing all this at the same time is really hard. So what does, you know, what do you do outside of crypto? How do you, I guess, do you have like mental health days? Do you uh, <laughs> just sometimes turn off your phone and close your laptop and go for a walk or hang out with the family? How do you spend your free time? Yeah, I mean, I take care of my family. So I got three kids actually. Um, so it's a lot of work. Um, no, I mean, I try and have like usually like four to eight is like I'll shut off my phone for the afternoon um, mm-hmm. or try and try and keep away from it. Make sure I hang out with the family. Other than that. Um, yeah, no, it, it's super tough, um, but it is nice like owning your own, or not owning your own business, but just even like being part of something that has a lot more flexibility than, you know, even more tra- even traditional work is definitely um, <laughs> demanding when you have a family. But I, I think the big thing too, like, you know, for people starting their own company, uh, like is like even when I started, you you can burn yourself out real quick. Yeah. But like you know, as I enter my fifth year here full time in crypto, it's like it, you realize like it's much more of it's much more of a marathon than it is a sprint. So you got to take it slow. Um, yeah, especially when the bull markets come because it feels like a really hard sprint during that time because I feel like out of nowhere, a bunch of new companies start showing face and saying, look at this new thing that we have to offer. But it's those companies that have been building during the bear market and just working hard at other ones that like make it through and succeed through the bull run and afterwards and continuing instead of like just failing off. Yeah. And you know, you always, there's always a bit of FOMO in there, you know, like depending on what you're building, like you'll be, you'll see like a competitor or something who's doing great and you're like man if i don't launch this product yep. now like i'm gonna miss <laughs> out and it's like no like just if you do it right it'll get some it'll get traction and you'll do it right you know don't worry about missing the one cycle make sure you last until the next yeah. um it's way way more important and i mean like we had i think i ran out of money like three times <laughs> <laughs> doing my early like the early daxia startup like we we ran out of money a lot uh, and it was like I, I was actually like so you know i brenda and like now my other co-founder mike um, they were like working on it with me um, and like i would be like doing consulting work like i, I built like other people's token projects would take on uh, like auditing work and you know we would like i built a full nft platform for people back in 2018 like just you, you had to take on other work so you could pay for your own startup um wow. but i mean yeah like it was it was good 
I mean, you probably learned a ton doing that too, not just because of working for so many different companies like as a side gig. It's it's a great learning experience. You get to see what they're doing and how they're doing. And if there's any like good ideas that can come from it for yourself. Yeah. And also problems I mean, that you can solve if any of, any of them have a, like a common problem, which would be... For sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing I'd say for like launching a startup, it's just like get an MVP out the door and try and get some users on it. You know, like even with Keller, we've learned so much like trying to actually put a user into it and then you got to rebuild it and then you try and put a user through it. So like don't try and finish your product before you like test it on real users, like get an MVP out the door and try and get some users and go through the sales cycle because that's yeah. that's the hard part. You know, most a lot of times like you'll see it where these like perfectly built front ends come out on launch date and you're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Just... Get a perfect get front it, end. <laughs> well, right, like get it out the door and see if anybody even uses the thing and mm -hmm. then <laughs> and then figure it out. Um, what was your yeah. uh, start to launch for, for Teller? What do you like, mean? For MVP, sorry, for an MVP that you're describing. Yeah, well, I mean, so we got into, Teller started, we got into Binance Labs. Um, mm -hmm. It was like in March of 2019. But luckily, you know, Binance Labs came, came in. Like, we were like applying for other jobs at the time <laughs> from Daxia. And then Binance Labs came through because we applied to do the Oracle thing. Um, we went from March and then we launched the first mainnet version in August of that year. Nice. Um, and that was, yeah. And it was a version like, you know, like the, the reporter software was like, it was like a single underlying Python file that, and I was like the only reporter and it was like running locally on my computer. Um, <laughs> good, good times. <laughs> Yeah, it was just, you know, like, there was, and, and like, nobody was, was interested. Like we had to, you know, like this was like, the, we, we listed, so we didn't do any pre-mine. We had, um, we just started minting tokens from, mm -hmm. you know, every time somebody would do a report, you got minting rewards. Uh, nice. And that was how, like, so we got a lot of the first rewards and we would try and like convince people. So you needed a thousand tokens then to stake and then you could do it. And we would like hand people a thousand tokens. Like now they're probably thanking you if they kept them all. Yeah. Well, now <laughs> it's like, now we have a $20 price. So like, you know, we were handing these things out and people would be like and you would win like like back then like if you submitted a single report i think it was five trb so you know now it's a hundred bucks but like gas price then like back then it was like you had to pay like two bucks yeah or something to submit it and people were like oh man like i, I submitted twice today like i don't want to waste all my money on gas for these <laughs> tokens and you know like it was like you were paying two bucks now for what's a hundred bucks but yeah you know, like you couldn't get people to pay two bucks to submit a report on your coin. Um, Jeez. And then like, so that was in August and we got our first listing was on, um, it was on IDEX. We got I, listed on. I and, remember that. Yeah, they still and, around? What? Are they still around? I don't even know. But like we, <laughs> we were like the number one coin on IDEX for a few months. But it, it actually gives a great community. So like we got on like Bitcoin forum posts and stuff. Because mm -hmm. like a lot of the old proof of work miners would come over and be teller reporters and um, and then once we got on IDEX, like we were one of the top coins over there. And then we were just on DEXs. So we were on like 0x and, and IDEX and DEX Blue, if you remember them. Mm -hmm. um, and so like all of our early community members were all people who like bought us on really scrappy DEXs, <laughs> which made it like it made it an awesome kind of first community. They're the ones who really um, care and believe, you know. Yeah. So everyone was like everyone was kind of a reporter or, you that's know, awesome. one of those things. So like it, it made for a really strong foundation. And that's like what I tell people like don't ever launch your token like on a centralized exchange like make sure like now uniswap i guess is a little is way more common to yeah to launch tokens but yeah i mean like even uniswap is a good initial barrier like at least if they had to go to uniswap they're like <laughs> they semi-technical um because like those people are kind of the foundation of your project so like try and get those early people and it like we didn't even plan it that way. It was just like we couldn't get a centralized exchange to talk to us, but it worked out really well. Right. So, uh, in this 
cryptocurrency industry do you think uh, do you think if you ever just abandoned the idea of bitcoin just kind of skipped over the whole cryptocurrency craze feel like you still it wasn't for you what else would you what else would you be doing now if it wasn't for crypto what do you think you'd be doing <laughs> uh well at the time so I'd, I'd gotten into in 2017 i'd gotten into a phd program for economics okay and i decided to i was just about to start my first semester there and i decided i'm gonna not do that and go start <laughs> go start my own crypto project so like it was it was like a fork in the road because you know like people were like you know my parents were like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> what are you crazy yeah but so like it would probably be some you know phd economist somewhere uh, that's well i mean crypto is like a great e economist's like dream of like understanding what how, how is this money working with these it's such like a economy and like psychology fusion of the human yeah, mind I mean, like, how it works it's insane i manage the inflation rate on a currency like there's <laughs> no like you have to be so high up in PhD economist land to be able to do that. Um, yeah. But you know, crypto is just like so many people are like, well, you know, what should we have the inflation rate be? How should we manage our treasury? Like these are like really big decisions and like there's the opportunity to be able to put like actual economic theory into play. Um, it's super cool. Like, I think that's like one of the biggest things that people are sort of not playing around with enough. Like I hope mm -hmm. we, you know, like I know Om played around with it, but I want to see less of it in terms of like Ponzi schemes and more of it like actively managed inflation rates and treasuries have you uh so i'm guessing your degree in economics and knowledge in economics has really helped you out understanding how to build tellers down for sure yeah um it, it's super definitely just kind of working through the game theory of a lot of it mm -hmm. um, you know we're, we're starting so we just launched something called like teller treasuries uh, to where like you can lock up some drb in exchange for uh, for a reward later Gotcha. Um, and that, that's essentially like what a treasury is in real life. You know, the, the U.S. government is sucking U.S. dollars out of circulation. Yep. And whenever you, you know, reduce the overall amount in circulation, then what you're doing is you're, you're basically keeping a base interest rate uh, or forcing it on the population. You know, most people like don't realize that's what's happening. But, cause, you know, like the federal government can print money. It's not like they're. We've they seen that happen. I think that's the first time we've like finally seen that happen. Live action yeah. is during COVID. It's like, hey, here's, here's a bunch of money. Here's inflation. Yeah, like that, that was like a common misconception even I had back in the day. It's like, oh, well, the reason we issue treasuries is so we can borrow money to spend it. And it's like, no, like they, they don't need to borrow money to spend it. They're borrowing money, you know, to pull money out of circulation, value in the dollar. And that's <laughs> that's essentially what you can do. What we're going to try and do with dollars treasuries. You know, you can suck some of these GRB out of circulation and, and you can have a base rate, which is super important for our protocol that you know those those stake to pieces actually hold some value mm -hmm. so so uh i was gonna say so now that you've yeah, been in this crypto space for a while working in it dealing with people dealing with different crypto uh what is like a crypto pet peeve you have now oh man so many <laughs> um, first one that comes to mind one that you feel okay saying <laughs> yeah i mean i'm still not quite sold on nfts <laughs> say that's that. i mean it's me neither in a certain sense like i get it I get why they're fun and cool. It is, it's like a community of people just trying to work together on creating more value for themselves by either kind of being a DAO or being their own treasury to fund different projects. I get it, but I think the way the mainstream media handles it is just not what it's supposed to be about. But yeah, let me know what's your take on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just don't get how it's going to be that valuable. You know, it's just there. There's so much money in these NFTs. Still don't quite get it. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I think I think the crypto space in general, like we're, we're, we talk ourselves up way too much. Um, you know, we, I, I want to get back to getting people to really use it for you know buying pizzas or, or building smart contracts for something. You know, like these. Mm -hmm. What's the purpose? It's like it's it's for censorship resistance. Like we know this. Like you yeah. know, like 
we I, part of me you know like you'll hear a lot of times like oh well crypto is going to be huge and everything's going to be built on crypto and like i, I kind of disagree with that like i don't you know like i, I don't think we're it, it's okay like we're, we're cool if we just build great censorship resistant technologies yeah that's that all we can't do. be shut yeah like that can't be shut down and then people can use them when they need them um there's value in that guys like don't don't gloss over it like it it's really cool if we're not the reserve currency of the world um <laughs> it, it's it's a-okay or you know it's okay if we never have a facebook built on top of an ethereum like yeah it, it's cool but there's a ton of i think there's a, i'm sensing that's like the new trend now is some type of social protocol sure i'm seeing that come up a few times with some some new projects so we'll see how that goes because yeah i think we're getting close to the point of becoming more of a social protocol built on top of some type of blockchain yeah but i mean like at the same time like i i think about it like you can be a good backstop like there's a lot of reasons for people to um to have their own currencies or, or even just their own centralized platforms like centralized platforms i think by definition will always slightly faster and slightly more you know slightly cheaper um mm -hmm. you gotta pay for some security in this decentralization world so there will always be a piece that makes sense to put on a centralized platform but just having a backstop will, will really be a good check like the example i give sometimes is like with music pirating um <laughs> yeah you you can like having the ability to pirate music makes music cheaper because like if you know like we all used to go download music illegally because it was really expensive to go buy cds or we mm -hmm. didn't want to do it but then it sort of became really cheap and music is basically free now so yeah, you know like it, it sort of became a check on the system um and i think in the same way crypto like if if you have stable coins that are censorship resistant that people can move to really easily and privately no government's really gonna fuck around and <laughs> you know inflate their currency too much like they know that people are, will just leave and not actually be in their currency. Yep. So just having the ability to have that stuff sort of puts a check on the government or, you know, like if people can communicate seamlessly in a private manner, you, there's no point in doing anything, any censoring, because then people are just going to get around it anyway. <laughs> and it's really easy. So like, I, I think as we get better and better at it, it's just going to be a great check. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're right, because it is just typically either like fighting against or just trying to work with the system, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So what, what's some uh, exciting news that's coming up for Teller that you want to share? Um, I think the big thing is just look on every chain for Teller. That's next. Um, nice. We're out here. We're going to be, yeah, we're going to go on Cosmos. We're going to go on Harmony. We're going to go on Algorand. We're going to go on Gnosis Chain. All these things are like we're currently not on, but we're going to be there the next month or two. Um, that's awesome. And, and yeah, so like we, we redesigned Teller last year to be able to be much more modular and be able to put it on any chain. So uh, seeing that and then seeing like where we actually get usage on these other chains, like it's been super helpful, even just like trying to build on all these other chains, but um, kind of plugging in with those communities. It's been like, we've been, I feel like I've been really siloed in Ethereum for the past like two years and then um, kind of mm -hmm. branching out. It's, it's just opening the doors to a whole lot more. For sure. And there's not going to be one, I still don't believe there's going to be one chain to rule them all. We're humans. We're, we like to compete. We like to try to test these, each other's products and systems normal for us to have more yeah than one well, option. well i mean like going looping all the way back to like the bitcoin thing and you know like i had originally thought like oh well, bitcoin failed to scale you know because nobody's using bitcoin but i think like in a broader sense like bitcoin failed but like cryptocurrency so bitcoin scaled by other cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. so you know like cryptocurrency in general has scaled massively you know and and if you look at us all kind of on the same team of building it together and 
making mm-hmm. it interoperable. I've like, done a great job. And that's that's what I think is going to continue. Out for one of my last questions. Um, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something that happened in the crypto space for you that kind of warmed your heart, made you smile, <laughs> feel good. Oh man, best feel good crypto moment. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even know. <laughs> it always feels good, right? Yeah, no, it definitely always feels good. You know, there, there's a lot of support, you know, like even um, just like you see on Twitter, like somebody will get hired, like thousands of people will like, <laughs> like this person got hired. Um, <laughs> they did it. They moved over. Yeah, like they they came over to the crypto space and this is awesome, um, you know, and, and it's always super it's always great to see um you know like even what transmission 11 like he's do you follow him on twitter mm. like he's yeah. he's the guy that just got hired like in in his part-time uh so he moves over to paradigm full-time uh but on the side he goes to high school um <laughs> on the side he's, he's yes. in high school. and you know like it's it's just it's super cool um <laughs> that is awesome that's the thing too with crypto it's like you know yeah. in corporate jobs typically oh you have to be x amount of years to be even looked at but you know you could be really smart at 17 18 years old be able to contribute well so it should be yeah rewarded. like i think i, I like i was talking with my co-founder on it. i remember we were, we were talking at dinner and i was like do any of our employees even have degrees are we sure <laughs> they do like do we even know <laughs> we were like like and we actually figured out like uh, we have we actually don't have any employees that have computer science degrees. Like we, we used to have one and then he just, he got a new gig. So like, it was like, everyone was just kind of scrappy and self-taught in the crypto space. And it's uh, super cool. I love that. Well, thank you, Nick, so much for joining me. I'm excited for Tyler to grow. I'm excited to see it on all these old new chains. And I really appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Thank you. See you, everyone. See you.